Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 253. Thank you so much for joining us. We are continuing our storytelling series today, talking about Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. This is a little bit of a different episode because normally we approach storytelling from how can we enhance your next ride on an attraction? But instead, this time, we're looking at it as, how can we enhance your first ride on this attraction? And that's mostly because, interestingly enough, this ride opened just 14 days before Walt Disney World closed due to coronavirus. So because of that, there's a lot of people out there who still have not gotten to experience this attraction. And with that being said... We definitely don't enjoy spoilers. We don't want to be the one to spoil anything. And this episode isn't completely spoiler-free, but our goal here is to give you enough information and just that appreciation for the background that's going to enhance whenever you get to ride it. Because this ride was probably one of the least welcomed rides of all time that I can remember in recent memory. Because the Great Movie Ride was so beloved, it seems like a lot of people have not given this attraction a fair shake. And so I don't know what your goal out of this episode is, Catherine, but my goal is to prove is not the right word, but to show that this attraction does belong in Hollywood studios. In its current form, it does tell a story. It does fit with the theme of the park. And it is much, much deeper than it may seem like. I completely agree. I think thinking about this as a way, you know, how can we highlight it? How can we, again, think about the storytelling and how this fits into the bigger grand scheme of Hollywood studios? I mean, I think that's a fair way to approach it. I want to go ahead and get this out of the way, and we might talk about it at the end as well once we dive into the story. We have both said to each other, this attraction, it's good in Hollywood studios, It's going to be great in Toontown in Disneyland. It's going to fit there very, very well, I think. I think there it is going to be a no-brainer. You know, it definitely fits within Hollywood Studios, and that's what we're going to highlight because, you know, this is what we're familiar with. But I do think there's a certain aspect of it just makes sense there. So before we get into storytelling, let's talk about some of the specifics and some of the facts for this attraction So like we said, it opened on March 4th, 2020, only 14 days before Walt Disney World closed last March. So really, we are in a select few group of people. We wrote it with the pre-show. We were there a week after it opened. We wrote it. We got to see the pre-show. We got to experience it, you know, in its normal form. Everyone since has not been able to do the pre-show. Which again, I mean, 2020 was a wild year, obviously. But to think about that, I guess I didn't recognize that that was, you know, two weeks 
that people got to experience that pre-show because it does truly enhance the ride experience. So it is bizarre. I definitely want to talk about that once we get to that point in the story as well, because it's one that they've tried to patch over it, but they haven't done as good a job as maybe you would hope. But we'll get to that in just a second. So this does inhabit and sit in the space of the Chinese theater in Hollywood Studios, the icon of the park, maybe that I, or Tower of Terror. Is. Ooh, okay. Yeah, it's interesting because when you think about an icon, you do think about something like the castle, the Epcot sphere, geosphere. How about Spaceship Earth? I know, but the word, there's this... Geodesic sphere. Thank you. Or the Tree of Life. And it's, you know, as soon as you enter in the park, that's what you see. That is what the Chinese theater is in Hollywood Studios. But I do think Tower of Terror is the better... I don't know, the better fit. It's more iconic. And I think they use Tower of Terror more often in their marketing and stuff. They do, for sure. Anyway, that's a debate for another day. Chinese theater did house the great movie ride from park opening in 1989 until it closed in 2017. Very weird times. It was not really accepted by the fan base at all whenever they decided to close it. But again, that's a story for a different day. Took them three years to completely convert it over into Runaway Railway. And that's also, I think we're going to look back in 10 to 15 years and say those late 2010s before Toy Story Land opened and before Galaxy's Edge opened was a really bleak time for Hollywood Studios. There was not much to do there at all. I don't even think we have to look back in 10 or 15 years. I think we can say that pretty honestly right now is that Hollywood Studios just was not a place where people were super excited to go. I mean, obviously, there are some diehard Hollywood Studios fans out there, but your average park goer was not impressed. I was not impressed by Hollywood Studios at that period in time because there just wasn't anything to do. You could go ride the two rides and leave. And by the two rides, I mean Rock and Roller Coaster and Tower of Terror and leave. Yeah. I mean, after they closed like the Backlot Express area and the Lights Motors action area as well, there really wasn't too much to do. And so I'm going to go ahead and make the prediction and maybe it's already set in stone, but I think that Runaway Railway is going to do more to bring this park back on the map than Toy Story Land. I'm not going to say it does more than Galaxy's Edge, but I think it does more to give the park an identity than Toy Story Land does. To a certain extent, I think that's fair. I do agree that this is an attraction for all ages, which I think is something that the park so desperately needed. Because even when you think about Toy Story Land, you have to consider... Slinky Dog is not for all ages. So I I do agree partially with what you're saying. And Mania, even though it doesn't have a height limit, is not really for all ages either. No. You have to be a, a certain, you know, You have to understand what's going on. To be able to play the game effectively and get any sort of enjoyment out of it. Fair. So all of this is just to say, I think Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway gives the park an identity that it so desperately has missed really since it changed to Hollywood Studios, I would say, that this kind of bridges the gap for what people loved about MGM Studios, what people loved 
about Hollywood Studios now. It is a bridge piece connecting the past to the present and to the future. Now, a lot of people might be sitting at home saying, that's what the great movie ride did. And I can't necessarily argue with that. I will say, just so you, we will put our bias out there forefront, neither of us were huge fans of the great movie ride, mainly because neither of us have a great appreciation for historical cinema. We don't watch a lot of old movies, and that's to our own fault, and that's that's our problem, not yours. <laughs> and so we didn't have a great appreciation for the great movie ride. But I don't, I think it's unfair to constantly compare the two of these because besides the building, they have nothing in common. Oh, I completely agree. Yeah, I think even if you were a diehard Great Movie Ride fan, you can still be a Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway fan. I don't think the two have to be completely separate. You'll probably be able to have a favorite between the two, and that's okay. But I do think this ride has a lot to offer. And one of the things that excites me the most is our last key fact, which is it does have a trackless ride system. This is only the second trackless ride system in Walt Disney World after Rise of the Resistance. And some might be able to say Tower of Terror. Well, Tower of Terror is trackless from the fact that it doesn't have a track on the ground, but it does still have somewhere that's pulling you from the top. Yes, but so you that's can't why, see it as the writer. Correct. So, I mean, and we talked about this in our Tower of Terror episode, saying that this was like the predecessor to Trackless. Mm-hmm. It's not full-blown like a Ratatouille or Rise of Resistance or Mickey and Minnie's, but it's it lays some of that early groundwork. Basically, Tower of Terror, Tower of Terror is a marvel of engineering. Oh, absolutely. But as we digress, it's pretty – I mean, it's a very cool – system. And it's something that does enhance this ride. So it's not really something that maybe you need to know before riding it, but it is a cool fact. So let's get into the storytelling. So we mentioned it a little bit before is that this ride does an excellent job of preparing you for the story before you actually get into the ride vehicle. And that's done via the pre-show. And I think it is worth mentioning that if you're going to ride this soon, When you're in line, you're going to wait at least 15 minutes. It's only a minute and a half long. Pull up the pre-show on YouTube and watch it while you're sitting in line. Because I think they make an announcement right now trying to tell you what happened in the pre-show, but they don't do a very great job. And we'll try to explain it a little bit as well when we get to that point in the story. But I think it's worth the minute and a half to watch it. Do you agree? I agree, because what they give you is like a 15-second, you know, little voiceover, and they're doing what they can, and I can appreciate, because at first they weren't giving you that 15-second clip. You just walked into the loading area, and they just kind of left you without that piece. I do think you need that piece to understand what exactly is happening. I mean, it's a big part of the story is that you are, you know, being... What's the word I'm looking for? Not transformed, but you are being... You're given access to Cartoon World. To a new place that you've never visited before. And I understand completely, you know, wanting to experience it in person for the first time because I'm very much the same way. But I think you can watch it on YouTube so that you understand. And then being able to see it in real life 
once they're able to start showing the pre-show again, will still be two completely different experiences. Yep, I completely agree. So you guys are probably going to roll your eyes because we say this for almost every attraction, but the story that you're being told in this attraction actually starts before you get into the queue and before you even get to the Chinese theater. I think it starts when you scan your magic band and you get into Hollywood Studios. So let's just imagine you scan into Hollywood Studios, you get into this area. Let's set the stage for what Hollywood Studios is. Because it does, like we talked about, it has an identity crisis or it has for a certain period, but at least the Hollywood Boulevard portion of this and the Sunset Boulevard portions have remained relatively untouched for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. So it's set in the golden age of Hollywood, so around the 1960s. And the premise originally for Hollywood Studios was supposed to be giving you a behind the scenes look at Hollywood. So that fits the narrative of a great movie ride. It also fits the narrative, and you can see it lingering around in some parts of the park as well today, of like the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular or Muppet Vision. Those all fit into the original theme of MGM Studios of how are movies made, how do we do the stunts, how do we make 3D. All of those things kind of play into this original thing, but... If you think about Hollywood Studios now, it has transitioned into a park where you get transformed into different worlds with your favorite characters. So you can see that exhibited in Galaxy's Edge, in Toy Story Land, at Tower of Terror even. I think they started kind of that transition around that Tower of Terror time when they introduced it to the park. And now, ultimately, with Runway Railway as well. Well, I think, so the good thing about the attraction is that you're getting hints of both of those because you're definitely hitting on what we just said. You know, when you are going on to Runaway Railway, you are being transitioned into the cartoon world. You know, they want to bring you into this new place that you've never been before, very much like a galaxy's edge. But it's also giving you those old Hollywood vibes with the setting of the Chinese theater some of the, you know, other nods that they've left behind. So it's a good melting pot between the two. When when we talk about this transformation, everywhere else in the park that transformations happen, I guess besides Tower of Terror, but if we think about the, the two big ones of Toy Story Land and Galaxy's Edge, the transition happens when you walk through. Mm-hmm. And the transition happens right in front of your eyes. This one, it's... Contained within the building, but I think it's really cool how they're able to create this own little world in this one building. And it's just as immersive as those other two, I would argue. And it's just as rich of a story as the other two. They just do it in a different way. So there's what's the there's more than one way to skin a cat. <laughs> what? That's my that's my southern. Posting. I did not expect those words to come out of your mouth. Basically, what Brendan's trying to say is it's more subtle. It's unexpected because when you just look at the Chinese theater, especially if this is going to be your first time riding the attraction, you don't quite know what to expect. It's something brand new. For us, we didn't really get our hopes up. We thought it'd be cool, but 
you know, we had our own biases about, oh, well, we don't really like the style of animation, you know, whatever. And we went in with pretty low expectations, but we left feeling completely blown away because I feel like it doesn't have the same kind of hype as a Galaxy's Edge or a Toy Story Land. So it's very understated. Because you can't see it. You can't exactly. feel it. It's not tangible. It's very understated. Yeah. So we set that stage. We now have an understanding of Hollywood Studios and what the goal of it is now. And we can, again, that's an argument that we can have for another day of should they have stayed with what MGM was originally supposed to be or do we like the directions that it's headed now? It it doesn't matter, ultimately. (laughs) They didn't ask us. But anyway, let's imagine we just scanned our magic band in. Can you make the noise for us, Catherine? Well, it always takes mine 12 years, so I have to dramatically pause. And then it's like the bring. Yeah, and it doesn't go blue. It does go green. It just takes forever for some time. Yeah, just forever. But da-ding, (laughs) da-ding. Something like that. You, You scan in. You walk into Hollywood Studios, and you're immediately surrounded by neon, by this 1960s Art Deco style. Lots of teals, lots of oranges, lots of things that put you into this golden age of Hollywood. By the midway part of walking down Hollywood Boulevard, you've noticed the Chinese theater by this point. It's large, it's looming, it's flashy. And you know that that is the place that you go see movies. Just like if you were in real Hollywood, that's the place that you would go to see a movie. And as you get closer, you see the signage for the Grauman's Chinese Theater. And the marquee is showing that there is a new show in town and a new premiere happening. So, side note on this marquee. So, this is where you first see that this is the name of the attraction. Mickey and Minnie's. Runaway Railway. It's blue. It's pink. It's flashy. Mickey and Minnie are waving at you. They're waving. It's Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's moving. It it You catches your eyes, both at day and at night. Oh, yes. And if you think about from an Imagineering standpoint, they actually modeled this after a real sign that was on the Grauman's Chinese Theater in the 1950s promoting CinemaScope. And you can look up the pictures of this, of what CinemaScope looked like, of what this sign was. It was up for like four or five years on the Chinese theater promoting this new style of movie. Essentially, it was just wide angle movies. Which was apparently a big deal. Yep. And so, you know, and then they continue expanding it outward and outward and outward. And then we get IMAX and then we get Super IMAX and then we get whatever else we have now. Yeah. But that was the same, that was something that if you're in the golden age of Hollywood, you would have seen a sign just like this and a marquee showing, hey, what's the next premiere? What are we going to get to go see at the Chinese theater? So that just brings up in my mind, do you think when they model this attraction for, um, I... Toontown. I kept wanting to call it Cartoon World. I was like, oh my God, it's not Cartoon World. Toontown. Do you think they're going to have to change the sign? I think they're going to change the story, honestly. Really? I think it'll be the same story once you get inside, but I think the premise will be different. Okay. This was actually a talking point I had later on that I wanted to bring up with you. Oh, dang. Okay. Well, I was just specifically talking about the sign. 
I think, yeah, I think the sign will be different. Okay. So you see that there's this new show playing called The Perfect Picnic. It's a Mickey Mouse movie. You can see based on the poster, it has Mickey, it has Minnie, it has Pluto. And so that's where you're invited in to this theater that you're going to go see. Obviously, if you're in this setting, if you're in the golden age of Hollywood, you've seen Mickey Mouse shorts and cartoons and movies before. So it would obviously draw you in. And you even see posters all over the place showing his previous cartoons and his previous movies and previous things that Mickey and Minnie and the other Fab Five, plus a few others, plus Daisy, (laughs) have all been in previously. So that's kind of the premise that we talk about here is that I think it's often missed because the great movie ride and the Chinese theater were so synonymous for so long. It's hard to imagine that this fits into the narrative of an actual of the Chinese theater. You think about, I mean, the historic landmark you know, things like Snow White take place there. Huge movie premieres take place at this location over the years. And this is just next in line for what is happening. The perfect picnic. I like it when it's laid out like that, because I do think a lot of people, you know, probably just thought like, oh, well, they just wanted to get rid of one thing and they just stuck another, you know, attraction in there just to fill the space. But it was very intentional. I mean, I think everything that the Imagineers do is extremely intentional. But all those little details with the signs, with the big posters, you know, movie posters like you would expect to see with any other movie outside of the Chinese theater. I mean, it's just like a very kind of natural experience. You know, I'm going to see a movie. This is what you would do if you were in Hollywood. And... I like that they set it up that way. Again, it's very just like unsuspecting. What could go wrong? And this is where I think the pre-show is so vital because it's missed very easily is that that is exactly what happens. You go through the line and you actually get into a theater and you are watching the perfect picnic. You only see a portion of it because (laughs) then, you know, the wackiness and the unexpected turns begin to ensue. And we'll get into that, you know. In a second, but that premise from the moment that you scan your magic band and you are in Hollywood and what do you do in Hollywood? You enjoy a movie. This is where movies are made. You know, it's all laid out for you. I think starting at that very moment and it honestly took us going 20, 30 times before it clicked for me that this is not just a show building that they've now transitioned over to Mickey and Minnie, that it actually does fit into a real cohesive story. Oh, absolutely. I think they have to go together, you know, to be such an icon and to be potentially considered the icon for the park. I mean, it needs something important to go inside and it does need that continuous storyline. And we definitely get that. So if you've been hovering over the pause button or the exit button over this entire time. (laughs) Or fast forward. Hoping that we don't get into any spoilers. This is where we're going to get into some mild spoilers breaking down this story. But we have specifically picked out plot points that will not give away what is actually happening. 
but they're things that you could subtly miss. And that if you kind of know some of this beforehand, I think it's going to enhance your ride. If it doesn't, I'll give you your money back on listening to this episode. (laughs) I was going to say, watch your words carefully, sir. Not on your Hollywood Studios ticket. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I think, you know, if you want to skip ahead, you can probably skip ahead four or five minutes and then we'll be done with it. But I do think it is a worthwhile conversation. I would not be upset if I knew this information before I wrote it. I agree. So again, very mild, but here we go. Here's the little bitty breakdown of the story that we want to share. So basically, Mickey, Minnie, and Pluto, they're planning their day. They want to find that perfect picnic spot in Runamook Park, and they pack the car, and they take off to find their spot. Everything seems normal. They drive over the train tracks. The trunk pops open and their picnic basket, a pie, and Pluto all pop out of the car. The pie gets stuck on the train that Goofy is engineering on the Runamuck Railway. And then chaos basically ensues. That's where the barrier is essentially broken between their cartoon world and our real, real world is within that chaos that ensues but we're not going to talk about any specifics we're not we're absolutely not that's just the plot points of what's happening we're not going to talk about any of the special effects anything like that so then the remainder of the ride is spent with mickey and minnie where they're trying to stop your runaway train and they're ultimately trying to get to their perfect picnic day that they had set out to have so like any good cartoon you know all of those Elements are there where you are introduced to what the characters think is going to happen. Everything goes wrong in a zany way that only could happen in a cartoon world. And then at the end, everything works out. So there's one particular thing that we just picked up on recently. You said you knew it for a while and you just didn't tell me, I guess. I didn't know it was something that needed to be mentioned. So there's a subplot that is going on. To this. So the main one is Mickey and Minnie are trying to stop your train. Yes. And ultimately get back to their picnic. But like you mentioned, Pluto was ejected from the car as well. He wouldn't wear his seatbelt, I guess. Well, Minnie's just stuck him in the trunk. What kind of dog owner is that? Yeah, that's a little offensive. I don't know why Minnie put him in the trunk. Maybe. I was going to say an accident, but. She booted him. She kicked him. She was looking for a date day. She didn't want the plus one. She was frustrated. All this is just to say, watch this subplot happen that Pluto is trying his hardest to get back to Mickey and Minnie because he was separated from them at the very beginning. So in every scene, you can see that he's a few steps behind Mickey and Minnie. At one point, he gets ahead of them as well. But he's he's a lost dog. He has his picnic basket. You know, in any cartoon that you watch with Pluto and Mickey, Pluto is always trying to help Mickey succeed in whatever his end goal is. So in this case, Pluto is carrying the very important picnic basket. You can't have a picnic basket or a picnic without the basket. So he's trying his hardest to get back to them. And it is pretty cute to watch him. Or, you know, if you're one that likes to look for little details throughout the ride, A, this ride is full of them, but B, Pluto 
is definitely one that I think you don't want to miss. Um, just trying to look for him in all those different scenes. Correct. And Donald makes a few appearances as well. Uh, well, everyone has to make a few appearances. You're in cartoon world. Correct. So story-wise, I don't know if we necessarily need to go much further. I mean, I think that pretty much lays it out where if you have a good understanding of that, you are already a, a considerable distance ahead of a lot of other people who write this, especially now without a pre-show. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think just, you know, if you ever watched any of these new Mickey and Minnie cartoons that they've put out now, it's very similar to any of those. So it's kind of fun to watch those too. Like they usually play them in the hotel rooms. Like that's what we would watch when we like go there for vacation. If you watch that and then go ride the ride, I think you'll get a kick out of it too. They missed a golden, golden opportunity to put us in potato land. They Yeah, so spoiler, there is no Potato Land, if that's what you were hoping for. Why not? We need a Potato Land ride. Because they, they wanted to do something different. They went a different direction. Well, I don't agree with that direction. Well, All directions should lead to Potato <laughs> Land. Send your strongly worded letter. So I think that we're going to put the story to a rest, and we may think of little things along the way for the rest of the conversation. But we want to point out some other kind of facts or ways to look at this attraction that are going to enhance the story for you. I also want to mention at this point is we did this for our Hangar Bar episode last week. We made a little accompanying YouTube video to go along with it. We also made some accompanying videos of our experience at Runaway Railway that we're putting up this week as well. So if you want to get a visual on some of this stuff... We also have a full ride through that we're going to put up on YouTube as well. If you want to go ahead and spoil the whole thing for yourself, be our guest. And um, yeah, but it's just a different perspective to put video with it if you're interested in that. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to put the visual with what we're saying and then you can start to look for those things. I mean, nothing compares to being there in person, but it might give you a little idea of maybe what to look for. So the biggest thing is sound. So the way on this attraction that they are able to tell story through sound effects and through music, I think is remarkable. And it's one of the best. I would honestly compare it to telling story similar to Haunted Mansion. That's the other one that I think sound and music plays just a gigantic role in telling you what's going on, I honestly think that this is up there. Okay, fair enough. So if you think about those typical, you know, Mickey cartoons, everything has a sound effect. There's nothing that moves that doesn't have an accompanying sound effect. And that's exactly how it is here too. And everything is directional as well. So as you're looking around and you're seeing things moving, you can hear What's happening? You can hear wind blowing if you look one direction, but you can hear a tree falling if you look the other direction. It's really, really cool how they're able to tell such a unique and immersive story using sound. So that's mainly on the sound effects side, but also on the music side, they chose that they were going to get an original song for this attraction. That's Nothing Can Stop Us Now. We played it at the beginning of this episode, and... 
supposedly there were conversations about should we go with an original music or should we pull something from an existing Mickey cartoon? And they ultimately decided to go with an original one thinking that they were working on a classic here. And this is, you know, all of the Disney classics have an original song to go along with them. Haunted Mansion, Tiki Room, Pirates of the Caribbean. And so they went that direction as well. I think it was a smart move. I think it's exactly what this ride needed. I mean, you hear this song everywhere now, especially when you're in Hollywood studios. But if you listen to the words of the song, I mean, it is directly setting you up for what you experience on the ride. It's catchy. It'll get stuck in your head. It's everything that any of these other songs have, you know, and it just completely encompasses what the ride is about. I didn't realize it was an original song, to be completely honest. Where did you think they got it from? I thought it was from another Mickey short. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Other things to do with sound is the train whistle that Goofy, when he's engineering, it's using the same tones and the same instruments that Steamboat Willie's train whistle used. Uh, Not train whistle. uh, (laughs) His steamboat. His steamboat whistle. Whistle, nonetheless. Yes. And there's also a lot of other sound effects that they stripped straight from a lot of these old Mickey cartoons. When they wouldn't make the sound effects with a computer, they're actually, you know... Clapping things together. Using practical things to make the noises. And for those that they couldn't pull from old cartoons, they actually pulled some of the old things that they used back in the 30s and 40s out of the archives and recreated sounds that they needed for this attraction. So they went back to the roots for a lot of that stuff. Which is so cool. I mean, and to think about that when you ride the attraction, I mean, it really does just go above and beyond to enhance the fact that you are somewhere new. Like, obviously, the rest of Hollywood Studios, they might have used computer-generated noises, but not in Cartoon World, which is really cool. The other thing that I think, and this is the biggest thing here, honestly, this entire ride is basically a tribute to Walt and Mickey in the history of animation in this company. Which just absolutely pulls at the heartstrings. And I never would have thought this. Like you said before, we were definitely the people walking into this being like, we hate the new style of animation. Oh, yeah. I mean, and because we still kind of do, if we're being completely honest. Mainly just Goofy. Goofy's the only one. They did him dirty. Quite literally, he <laughs> looks dirty. <laughs> he's he's a little frightening. And, you know, Goofy. His eyes are yellow for some reason, while the others are all white. But anyway. Anywho. They, they really took their time on this attraction to understand who is Mickey, who is Walt, what did their relationship and animation look like. That this, it's, it's honestly a tribute to that this is the quote. I mean, it all started with a mouse. Yeah, like this is Disney. I think this attraction embodies everything about that. 
So there's little things, there's little tributes. Like when you first go through, there's a tunnel, it's marked 1928 for when Mickey debuted as Steamboat Willie. Later on, you see a tunnel um, labeled as 1901, labeled signifying Walt's birth year. But there's also a lot more subtle things. There's things like Maison de Soiree, if I'm practicing my French. Did you have to Google how that's pronounced? No, I took French in high school. Yeah. Mm, Okay. Which means house of mouse in French. And there's a sign that says that in the city scene. And there's all kinds of other stuff that are signifying that the Imagineers were very careful and meticulous in building this. What were some of your favorites? So my favorite is definitely towards the end of the attraction. So again, I'm not going to tell you exactly where it is. You can watch the YouTube video if you want to know. But it's a street sign that's labeled Yensid Valley, which is just Disney spelled backwards, um, but is also what Walt called part of his backyard. Um, You know, he was big into his, um, his train sets and everything. And that was the part of his backyard where he had his miniature trains. Which is, you know, how can you not just get a little misty-eyed about that? Um, And then, of course, when you exit the attraction, and this is one that I think everyone notices for sure, but there's a portrait of Walt on one of the Disneyland trains there. And it just encompasses, again, like you said, like, this truly is the perfect setting for a tribute to Mickey and Walt. And that's what this ride is. You know, you're getting lost in this cartoon world like Walt probably got lost, you know, when he was animating everything with Mickey. Like that was his own little world. And now we're getting to be part of it. It really is beautiful. And there's dozens and dozens of other ones as well. There's tributes to WED Enterprises, to Walt Disney Imagineering, to specific animators, to specific Imagineers who worked on it all kinds of other little things. And it's said that this has the most hidden Mickeys of any attraction on property. Yes. I mean, they're everywhere. We try to pick out a few of them, um, which is fun for us. You can even, if it's a long wait, which sometimes it is, there are some outside of the Chinese theater. Um, There's some inside. And then of course in the attraction itself, which is super fun. So, I mean, I think it's just, there's different layers to this ride, you know, every time you can pick out something different, but it all goes back to, you know, the overarching theme. It's interesting. And now that I'm even thinking about it, the whole thing itself is actually Ed and Mickey, you know, the aerial view of Hollywood studios that this is, it's laid out like a hidden Mickey. The center of it is the center of Hollywood studios. Yeah. Oh, I've never looked at that So the Chinese theater is like the mouth of Mickey. They've done some construction, so it's not as clear anymore. Exactly. It used to be very clear, like ears, nose, mouth. Uh Uh-huh. It's changed a little bit now, but the Chinese theater plays a role, and it's a giant hidden Mickey. I love that. Those Imagineers, they think of everything. And so I think that's kind of where our discussion kind of has to end. Because, again, we want our goal here, we're assuming that you have not been on this attraction yet. And I think equipped with these facts and this approach, you're going to enjoy this so much more. 
And I hope that you can enjoy it as much as we do because it is one of my favorite attractions now. And it's definitely a must do for us. If we were going down the list of things to do in Hollywood Studios, you know, there's some things that you do every once in a while. There's other others you do just because the line is usually short. But this is one that we're willing to wait for every time because there's so much variety that plays into this ride that is just so cool. And again, not spoiling too much, but there's four different experiences that you can get on this attraction. At least. That's all I'm going to say. So you definitely have to ride it many, many times. Again, you get the A plot, you get the B plot, you get the different ways that you can ride it. You get the different details that you pick up along the way. You can sit in right seat or left seat. <laughs> it's it's truly something that I I think when we look back in 30 years, this is going to be a classic. I hope so. That's pretty cool to think about, you know, just as things continue to grow and expand, like how will kids and how will other people, you know, look at this ride? It'd be cool to think like, oh, this, you know, this is a classic now. The sound, the story, the location, you know, it all plays into that. So last kind of topic we talked about Disneyland. In Toontown, the stage is already set, is that Mickey and Minnie are here. Their houses are there. Oh, yeah, they live there. So you don't have to have that premise of why they're here. Mm-hmm. So do you think that they'll do it differently? I think you'll still get the picnic. I think you'll still get the railroad. You'll still get the same plot line. I guess the question is, is the way that they get you in the door different? Is it as simple as we're going on a picnic? Come with us. I mean, I would love that, honestly, because I think sometimes you don't have to overdo it. You know, I do think in Hollywood Studios, they needed more of that introduction. They needed more of that, you know, what is happening? How are we being transported into this new place? Just like any of the new, you know, Toy Story Land, Galaxy's Edge, you need that. I have an idea. You had to cut me off to tell me your idea. Uh, I got a small brain. It'll leave my brain if I don't say it now. Okay. What if it's a train station to Runamuck Park? And you're already on the train. You know what I'm saying? In our version right now, they have to get you on the train. Uh-huh. They have to have a reason to get you on the train. Uh-huh. You make it a train station. You're already on the train. You're already on the train. And you're going to Runamuck Park. You're viewing it more from Goofy's perspective. I could get I could get behind that. I thought you'd have a better reaction than that. Well, I had to think about it for a second. You know, this is a this is a new idea. You're pitching this idea to me. I'm the Imagineer here who you're pitching to. Oh, okay. I do like the idea. I do just wonder how that would work out if there's already. Because can't you ride the train back to Toontown? Toontown does have a railroad station. That could that could be problematic to have two train stations. Walt loved trains. More trains, the better. Fair. I do think in Disneyland, the tribute to Walt and Mickey aspect will be more of a... Tearjerker. I was going to say tearjerker. I think it's going to be more apparent to the Disneyland audience than maybe it is to the Disney World audience just because they're locals 
and they're, you know, crazier about it. Not oh, to say that gosh. we're not, but I'm just saying, you know what I mean? I didn't even think about that till now. Like, I just think it's going to, you know, they would walk on around and be like, this is obvious. Whereas, you know, it's going to take us tourists a little bit longer to figure it out. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be like completely obvious. But I I do think you're right. I think I think in every aspect of the way, this attraction lends itself a little bit better to Disneyland. More easily. And to Toontown. And I think that's where we step in with this conversation and say that it does fit in Hollywood Studios. You just have to follow along with their story a little bit closer. And so I hope that's what we've been able to do in this episode. Absolutely. If you guys like this style, we're reviewing this a little bit differently than a Big Thunder Mountain that we've all rode, you know, at least once. Whereas we viewed this from kind of a beginner's perspective. And even if you have been on it, I don't think anybody's been on it enough to be an expert oh, no. at this point. I mean, there's maybe some people who go on it weekly, but. but there's, there's a lot to take in. There's a lot to look at. For sure. Um, so again, if you want the accompanying video with this, that will be up on our YouTube like and subscribe, what do YouTube people say? Mm-hmm. Like, subscribe, turn on notifications. Yeah, all that. All that good stuff. So that will be up on Tuesday of this week, along with the ride POV as well. Never done that before, so that's brand new. 4K. K, um, K, K, K. It's like IMAX. I Yeah, I caught on. Okay. This is very nice. Good. So, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We're not going to give them this one a score. I just I think it's, it's too soon. I was going to say, we don't want to influence anyone else's opinions on it. If you want to you know, message us and ask us for a score, we'll be happy to share it. 9.75. It's going to be super high, if we're being honest. I don't know if it's going to be a perfect 10, but it's going to be pretty darn close. The obvious question that you may ask is, are we going to do Rise of the Resistance soon? And I, we we don't have plans to. I'm not ready yet. That one is honestly just too like overwhelming. It is very difficult to premise Rise of the Resistance without spoiling it. Absolutely. So, Whereas this one is a little bit you can you, you can tell the story without ruining the experience, and that's that's truly what it comes down to is. The experience, that first ride, there's nothing like it. So I've just decided we're going to go to the grand opening of this in Toontown in Disneyland. I would love that. Mark the calendars. But until then, we'll be back again on Thursday. So we hope you tune in and we hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.